Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, what do you do with a little kid who won't brush his teeth, who screams in his car seat, pinches the baby, refuses to eat her vegetables, throws books at the library, or runs rampant in the restaurant? We've all been there. How many of us have seen the parent with the child at the supermarket who is throwing one big tantrum in the cereal aisle because his mom or dad won't buy the super sugar rainbow loops that he had to, had to have? How many of us have been that parent with that child? No judgment. We are here to discuss it and get some strategies and scripts to all parents who have ever had some trouble with their young kids. Now, many of you who are hungry for parenting and teaching knowledge probably know the blockbuster best-selling book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. It's a staple on my shelf. And while Adele Faber has a daughter, Joanna Faber, who not only grew up being the recipient of all those strategies Faber and Maslisch described in their mega bestseller, but also wrote a follow-up book with her childhood best friend, Julie King, that takes a similar structure, uses common challenges of young children, and provides tool after tool to help anyone with children ages two to seven. Joanna Faber and Julie King are the authors of How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, a survival guide to life with children ages two to seven. The book has been ranked number one as a bestseller on Amazon and is being translated into 17 languages worldwide. Joanna and Julie created the soon to be released app Pocket Parent, a companion to their book, as well as the app Parenting Hero. Joanna and Julie lead workshops online and in person, consult privately, and give lectures in the U.S. and internationally. You can visit them on howtotalksolittlekidswilllisten.com or on Facebook, and we'll provide all of those links for you. We are so glad to have both of you on the show, so welcome, Joanna and Julie, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks, Robin. Hi. Hi. Hi, I'm so glad to have you both. I really have been anticipating this. I love your book. I, I just have been so excited about this. But before we get into the bulk of the interview, for those who haven't gotten their hands on your book and they don't know all about the great things that you've been doing, I'd love to know what gets you up in the morning and how did you wind up getting so interested in this particular topic and writing this particular book? Well, to answer that question, and this is Julie, to answer that question, we have to go back in time to when Joanna and I were babies, because we literally met when we were less than a year old, and our families had just moved to the suburbs of New York. Our mothers became very good friends, and we went to nursery school together. In fact, we went to nursery school all the way through high school together. But while we were in nursery school, Joanna's mother took a child workshop with or sorry, a parenting workshop with Chaim Gannat, and she and my mom read his books and would talk daily about what they were learning, and they would experiment on Joanna and me and our siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so we were really guinea pigs for this approach. Fast forward many years, we both had our three children and started leading workshops based on uh, Adele's book. And what I found was in those early years, I only worked with parents of little kids, and they all said to me, you know, I love the book, but I need more examples and more stories for the youngest kids. So I actually called Adele first, and I said, I have your next book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. And she said, oh, Julie, you write it. Call your friend Joanna. (laughs) So I called Joanna, and it took a little convincing, 
Mm. <laughs> Pressure had to be applied. Patience had to be used. Uh, <laughs> I said no. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out that well for you, I guess. <laughs> but eventually we did figure out how to write this book, as you know, and that's how it happened. <laughs> that's an awesome story. I, I absolutely love that story. Is there anything that you need to add, Joanna, over there? Okay, well, for me, you know what? gets me up in the morning, gets me writing. I guess I'll say the first thing is Julie because she was very persistent. <laughs> I overcame my ferocious resistance. I said, the book has already been written. Um, but uh, there is, you know, a larger force, which is- Julie? Uh, <laughs> a larger force, even larger than Julie. Than and, me. And, you know, I just- Give an example, which is a, a few weeks ago, we got a letter from a young man who is a father to a very young child and raising him in uh, the way he himself had been raised with harsh discipline, very authoritarian. And he was concerned that his son grow up to be a strong man. But somehow he got his hands on our book and had opened it and read it and wrote to us that he had tried some of these methods and that he was moved by the connection he was able to make with his son and how good he felt about this. And, and that just, that just floors me, uh, you know, the generosity of spirit that, that a stranger from across the world would have to consider something so different. I mean, it's not that much of a leap for myself and Julie, we were raised this way, but that people across the world are reading our book and raising their children differently. And that's going to help create one more kind person in the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, really our ultimate goal, our ultimate secret goal is world peace. And that's what gets us up in the morning. Besides yeah. that, Julie is very organized. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. World peace and Julie. Uh, I, I think that's awesome. Awesome. You know, one of the reasons why I I've been so excited about reading your book and interviewing you is you know, your personalities come out in the book and I love all the stories. I'm definitely one to write in my books. In fact, I, I can barely read a nonfiction book without a pen in my hand. It's just almost impossible mm. for me. I was taught to do that as a, a middle schooler and a high schooler and never dropped it. So the first moment that I put pen to paper when reading your book was when you wrote about how you, Joanna, would think of your mother's words when trying to think of how to respond to your child in challenging situations. And your mother said, for those who are listening, if you aren't sure what's right, try it on yourself. I mean, I feel like I repeat this all the time now. So that is, if someone responded to you in the way you responded to your child, how would you feel? And it really struck me particularly because the other day my son was getting over being sick. He no longer had a fever, but he still had a cough. And we were supposed to go out to dinner with my mother, my brother, and his kids. It was a lot of family. And my son told me he wasn't sure if he should go. Since he was worried he'd cough on somebody or cough each time someone asked him a question, he wasn't feeling great. But staying home meant that one of us would have to stay home too. And I thought, Oh, that would be irritating. But then I thought about your mom's words and put myself in my son's position. And it really helps with perspective taking. So in your view, how is this cue from your mother useful when deciding how to respond to kids when they have big feelings like sadness or anger and other difficult feelings? Give us some examples of what not to do that many of us do all the time that we'd really dislike if a friend was doing to us and then put some perspective on that. Yeah. Well, so if imagine that your son had really dug in his heels and you felt strongly that he should go, he was fine. And he says, I don't, you know, no, I'm not, I, I, I don't feel good. I don't want to go. I don't want to be with grandma and the cousins are mean anyway. <laughs> and, right? and you said to him, you know, stop being selfish. You can't just stay home alone. You're fine. You're not, you know, not even sick anymore. You're not contagious. The doctor said after the first couple of days, you know, what's wrong with you? Um, if, if, if a parent said to me, like, what's wrong with saying that to my kid? Mm -hmm. um, I would use this this little um, trick, not trick, but this little technique for figuring out, well, what would that feel like to be spoken to that way? Um, so we, I often will say to a parent, um, 
imagine that you wake up in the morning and you're feeling lousy. Like maybe you have a headache coming on or a little bit of a cough. You know, you've been sick and you're still not feeling 100% and you have to go in to work and you work with, you work with young children. It's exhausting. And so you stop for coffee on the way in and you run into a, co a coworker and you say, oh, you know, I really wish that I didn't, I'm not in the mood to go to work. I just, I feel lousy. I, I just want to go home. And, and if your coworker said to you, come on, it's not that bad. You know, you like it once you get there. You, sh you know, you just feel lucky you have a job. You're not really sick anyway. Um, how would that make you feel? <laughs> Sounds right? like not the nicest coworker to me right now. I'm like, no. <laughs> right. right. You'd be like, wait, is this a friend of mine? Did she say friend or just coworker? Like, do I have to talk to her about myself? Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's annoying. Yeah. Um, what would you want to hear from your coworker? You know, your coworker can't fix it, but you would want to hear some sort of understanding like, ugh, it's awful to have to go to work all day when you're feeling sick. Yeah. And you'd say, yeah, I mean, yeah. that would help me more than telling me what to do or telling me how to feel. But when it's our kids who are um, complaining to us about how they're feeling, we want to go in push mode and, you know, pressure them to do what we want them to do. Like you probably wanted your son to, just pull it together and, you know, go with the flow here. Well, you know, just especially because, you know, we knew that it would mean that either myself or my husband would have to stay home with him because, you know, he's not old enough to, to go, you know, to be home by himself. So in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, right. you know, which one of us is going to have to stay home? It would be nice to go out to dinner. I haven't really seen them much lately. But I'm telling you, those words really stuck with me because I was like, if I was in the situation, I felt really lousy. Yeah. What would I want someone to do for me? I'd want them to say, of course, no, stay home, relax. Like you don't, you don't have to go. Of course. Or even, you know, the counterintuitive result is that sometimes when we accept the feeling, it becomes easier for the kid to, um, you know, sort of suck it up. We want to say suck it up. The result is that if we say, oh, you know, you, you just don't feel like it, even though you're at the end of your your sickness, you know, you still don't feel up to going out. It's going to be a real drag. You're not in a mood that a kid will, that, that, that's what gives the person sort of the heart to say like, oh, well, you know, like you and dad really want to go. I mean, and you can say, you could tell them your feelings too. Mm -hmm. you know, I hate to miss it. I'd hate to have to stay home. What should we do? You know? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I think a, a lot of times when we're talking to adults, it, is more natural to us to accept their feelings because we don't have to get them to do anything. But when the feeling's really negative, sometimes it's challenging to do it with adults too. And and I just negative feelings are just so you know negative. We just don't want to hear them. Mm -hmm. And I I had that experience recently when my friend called me because I was going to give her a ride to the hospital for some tests, and she said to me on the phone, "I'm just so worried." that it's going to be the big C. Mm. And the immediate thing that rose to my mind was don't even think about it. Mm. And, you know, I bit my lip because I know that professionally I tell people to accept feelings, even mm. though I really didn't want to. And I just bit my lip and I was quiet for a few seconds. And then I said, that's a heavy worry to be carrying around. Mm. And my friend said, yes. <laughs> It is. And she sort of had this explosion, like of relief. And then she said, do you know what people tell me? Oh. I said, what? And she said, they tell me, don't even think about it. Oh, God. Imagine, how can you not think about something like that? And, and I never admitted to her that right. that's exactly what I wanted to say. You can send her this podcast. <laughs> no, she's not going to know about this podcast. <laughs> But, you know, it struck me. It was so hard for me to accept that feeling because it upset yes. me. Yes. Uh, but it was such a relief to her to have that feeling accepted. I just want to put high beams on that just to, to just to say, I love that you're, you're saying when we, when we accept somebody's feelings, when we reflect it, when we 
really show that we're hearing somebody. It is a relief to them. They feel like somebody gets me and they feel like they're not being judged or told what to do. And I think that that highlights something important for our friendships as adults, but of course, what we're talking about with kids, that kids can say, my parents understand me, my teachers understand me, when they are listening to what I'm saying and not trying to turn it into an agenda. This is yeah. what you need to do. It they could just, not be said better than that. Thank you. Thank you. Try. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, now I'd love to talk about what we should be doing when our child is having some difficult feelings. So I'm going to give you some following situations, which I know you're just going to do incredibly well because this is what you do all the time. Um, you provide so many tools in your book and I, I, it's so helpful. They're so clear. Nothing could be more clear than the way that you spell out your tools. So let's say you're reading a chapter book to your child and you have told her in advance that once the chapter is over, there is no more reading because it's late. The chapter ends on a cliffhanger. Not that this has ever happened in my house. And she starts wailing that you have to read more. You don't want to tell her that she's a big baby and you already agreed no more book. So now what do you do? Well, I'm going to, before we answer that question, I'm actually going to say, I think you do kind of want to say, hey, we had an agreement. Yes. Don't act like a big baby. <laughs> you know, you signed a contract. Okay, maybe you didn't sign a contract. But, you know, we talked about this ahead of time. I was being a great parent. Like, in the, like I, I already like, established this before. <laughs> yes, I gave you warning. We talked about it. You agreed to it. You don't have any right to complain. <laughs> Right? Yes. Right. <laughs> Not that we would ever have this conversation, but yes, it let's, let's say hypothetically speaking. <laughs> well, yeah, pe people have been known to say things like this for sure. <laughs> um, so that's, that's how the parent feels. And if we think about how the kid feels, they feel like, well, I said I would end after the chapter, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. Mm -hmm. Like you can't stop in the middle. I can't, I can't let it go. I need to know what happened. And, and we all know what that feeling is like. Mm -hmm. I mean, who hasn't picked up a mystery book mm -hmm. late in the evening and read a little too far and suddenly it's one in the morning and we yes. think, oh, I should have put it down a couple yes. chapters ago. Yes. <laughs> you know, so we know what that feeling is like. And I think that actually that feeling is also hugely problematic when kids are playing these video games, these mm. online games, because they're designed never to come to an end point. Right. There's always, if, you know, if I stop now, I lose my points. I had my strategy. Oh and, my goodness. Right? Yes. Yes. This happens. Yeah. So, so, so I think that is the scenario that we're really talking about is on the one hand, the parent feels like I did everything I could to warn you in advance and you agree to it and this isn't fair and I shouldn't have to deal with this unhappiness. And the kid's feeling like, but I need to know what's going to happen. It's basically last night for me, but okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. happened last night. Well, it's nice to know that I'm not alone in this. Yeah. I have a story in the book of this exact scenario and, <laughs> and I use it to illustrate bad parenting or, or I, not bad parenting, let's not be so judgmental. I use it to illustrate my awesome powers to come back strong the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> because what happened uh, in, with me is that I was reading uh, a book to the three boys and my youngest Zach uh, was used to shorter books that ended you know, that yes. you could read a little picture book, but he wanted to join the bigger kids. And when I got to the end of the chapter, it was actually the end of many chapters. And one of my other kids was sleeping and my, I was losing my voice and I was exhausted. And he got so upset, you know, he, he wasn't used to having a story not end. And, and he did in fact say that he said, but it's a cliffhanger. Yes. You can't stop. And I said, I can't read anymore now we'll read more tomorrow and he he actually grabbed an empty seltzer bottle that was on the floor for some reason i don't know why um and, and he winged it at my head and it 
he hit me in the head, you know, which is not what I imagined parenting to be, that your child would be pelting you with empty seltzer bottles. <laughs> I guess it's better than a full one, but yes. <laughs> and, and I was, you know, I was furious. Yes. You know, and I said, you know, what? You know, you're going to throw things at me? You, you know, I'll never read, you know, see if I oh, yes. a story again. You know, I didn't give him a skilled response. I was furious. Uh-huh. He was sobbing and I yes. was yelling. Oh my gosh, same thing. Yes, I've had this. At that moment, I wasn't a single parent because my husband, you know, came in and, you know, grabbed him up and, you know, carried him, you know, sobbing hysterically to bed and, and, you know, <laughs> whatever repair needed to be done. And the next morning, no, I, it's actually the next evening. I'm sorry. The next evening, I sort of felt the evening drawing near with dread, you know, like now I have to face this again. And so at the dinner table, I said to the kids, I, I, I thought, well, I'll try some problem solving, which is one of the skills we talk about in the book. And I said to the kids, you know, boy, I want to, I like reading stories to you at night. And I know you want to hear what happens next, but I'm really worried because the book is too long to finish. And, and, you know, the chapters always end with some kind of cliffhanger. And, you know, my husband said, you know, well, the kids just have to promise to go to sleep at the end of the chapter. But I know <laughs> that a promise you know, made at five o'clock, not necessarily the way we feel at eight o'clock. And so I said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about that. And Zach said, well, what if it's a cliffhanger? And then the older kids who are in school said, what if we make predictions? And Zach said, what are predictions? And the kids explained to him, you know, that's when you guess what's going to happen next. And And Zach agreed that it would be a good idea to make predictions. So that night, I read them the story. And as I got to the end of the chapter, I started feeling a little anxious. You know? <laughs> and, and I said, like, okay, we're at the end of the chapter. And I kind of looked up nervously. And Zach sat bolt upright and said, okay, it's time for predictions. Nice. And, and then he said, I predict that they will lock Lassie up even more tightly, but she will still escape and get back to the boy. <laughs> and then he got up and he trotted off to bed. And I nice. was Wow. <laughs> nice. How much nicer than, yes. you know, than, than a, a punishment or, you know, well, then we won't have any more stories or, you know, I, I can't even imagine, you know, what that scenario could have ended up as. Well, we saw what happened the night before. I mean, and it was still so much. I, I mean, I could give you the same story in my house. So it's just absolutely similar. Yeah, we talked um, it through. And, you know, yes. this is how I feel. This is how you feel. What can we do? And then these, these young children, they came up with their solutions. And yes, it's what nice a wonderful one. template for what to do in life when you have a conflict. You know, even after you've had an outburst and you screamed and cried and yelled. Yeah, the next day you can sit up, sit down together and come up with a solution. You, you're, you're hitting on something that I, I love talking about too, that parenting is the ultimate do-over. You know, we always have that next day to do something differently, to apologize, to try again, to try a different skill. And I love that because I am certain that people are listening right now and going, yes, same scenario in my house. And I totally messed up. Um, and now you can totally go back and, and try all these different things. So I love that problem. It, it, it is it is the ultimate do over. And, and what I tell parents is you don't have to worry that your children will never misbehave again. You know, you're not always feeling, you know, emotionally generous enough to yeah to do these skills and late at night when you're exhausted and you're tired, you know, you, you may not be able to, but the fact is you can do it the next day. And that's. All right. Let me give you another scenario and then, gosh, I feel like I have so much I want to ask you, but, um, okay. Your child's big sister got to go to a birthday party. Yeah. Now you know what's coming, but little brothers weren't invited. Little brother is very unhappy right now. That's not fair. I hate so-and-so. You don't want to say life's not fair and you will have plenty of birthday parties in the future and you just had one last week. So what do you do? Well, I think that first, let's be honest, that is what we want to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love Julie's. <laughs> Let's be honest here. <laughs> and it's not just that we want to say this, that we feel like they need to learn this lesson, you know, th- that life isn't fair and that 
you know, in fact, it's not true that you never get invited to birthday parties. So we want to argue with them about the facts of it. And we want to teach them our values. And we think we have to tell, teach them right away so that they'll stop making these complaints. I actually had a mom in one of my groups who had, a, had this scenario. Well, she had two girls, but it was essentially the same thing that, you know, that both girls were, got invited to all the birthday parties until the older one was, you know, what was she, six, I think, when she got invited to her first just her alone birthday party. And the four-year-old thought, wait, you know, every time we've gotten, you know, she's gotten invited to a birthday party, I get to go too. I get to get the ice cream and the birthday cake and play the games. So it was not a familiar pattern. And she said, like, I don't like this. And, you know, the mom tried explaining it to her. And actually what happened was the girl, her, the older sister came home with, with the goodies from the birthday party. And she had a couple of balloons. And, and of course, the little one was really jealous. And, and, the first, and the older one said, well, you can have a red, the red balloon. I'm going to keep the pink one. And the four-year-old just had a fit. That's when she just lost it and was screaming that she wanted the pink balloon and she didn't like red. And the mom is saying to her, but honey, I mean, she didn't even have to give you any balloon. Like mm -hmm. she's being actually being very generous. You should be grateful that mm -hmm. she, and guess how, you know, guess whether that four-year-old <laughs> said, oh, God, that makes me feel Thank you for the perspective, mom. Thank yes. you. Yes. I just want to interject here that the problem is, when you explain to a kid that life isn't fair, you know, they don't respond like, oh, you explain that to me. I'm totally okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. Yeah, a little more of like philosophizing with children. Like that. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we do try to do that. It doesn't work out very well, though. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this four-year-old, she went running into her room and she was screaming and crying. And the mom said, you know, she took a few deep breaths and realized, oh yeah, that thing about acknowledging feelings, that's where I'm supposed to start first. I think I skipped that step. <laughs> so she went up to the bedroom and, and talked and went in to talk to her, her four-year-old and, and she said things like, you know, you really like pink. You don't want the red balloon. You want a pink balloon. And she, you know, you looked around her room. She said, you know, you've got pink bedspread and you've got a pink bunny and you've got pink curtains like you like pink you don't like red and and the, her daughter started to calm down um and she it's hard to have your it's hard to see your sister go to a party and bring back the stuff that you wanted and you know she, she gets to keep it and, and and her she said her daughter actually calmed down and gave her a hug and went downstairs and played with her daughter it was sort of over mm. um, but it was not intuitive to her it's not the first thing she said to her mm -hmm. of course <laughs> right because all of us are there. Yes. I want to gild that lily by saying, you know, sometimes, sometimes words are not enough. So there are a lot of other ways to accept feelings. We have a whole bunch of them in our book, but um, one of them that I particularly like is to accept feelings with art. And I, I had a parent in my group who had a three-year-old who was infamous for having these prolonged tantrums and meltdowns whenever he was disappointed. And in this one case, he was supposed to have a friend come over. And then the mother of that little friend called up to say they weren't going to be able to make it. Mm -hmm. And so um, the kid just started to well up in tears. Mm -hmm. And mom was like, oh, no, there goes the afternoon. Um, <laughs> Because uh, she knew she had perseverance, you know, and she said, you know, oh, no, you are so disappointed. You are so sad. And she grabbed up the chalk and went to the chalkboard and do a stick figure with a big tear coming out of its eyes. So, you know, you don't have to be a Rembrandt. Stick figures will do. And the kid just sort of, you know, his eyes widened and, and he grabbed a piece of chalk and he started drawing tears, too. And he said, let's make, make more, make more. So they covered the board with tears and then he put the entire stick figure inside a big tear. Oh. He wrote sad, S-A-D, and he wrote boo-hoo on the oh. board. And, and then he sighed with great contentment and said, well, what should we do now? Oh. <laughs> so there's a little, a little art therapy mm -hmm. just yeah. to vary the theme a bit, you know, that is a really nice thing to try with. Thank you for that strategy. And, and I, I like all of that that you were just talking about. I think that when we can meet our child where they are and, and maybe just totally change things and, you know, in, in this case, this mom isn't even talking about, uh, you know, problem solving or listening to feelings in that particular moment. It's 
literally going with an image therapy, you know, art therapy, I, that's genius and well done to that mom. You know, that's, that's really great. So let's, let's move on to cooperation, which is an area in your book that you cover. You talk about how when we want our kids to cooperate, we sometimes resort to things that backfire. Um, not that I ever do these things, uh, like sarcasm or warnings or loads of questions, threats, and <laughs> the grand lecture, <laughs> which sometimes happens. So let's focus on what we can do in the following sit situation that can help cooperation to happen. So I mean, look, we all do these things. So I just want everybody to know who's listening, like literally all of us do these things. We've all been caught doing these things. And so now we're just looking for some other ways. So we want everyone, let's say, to help keep the doorway clean and free of shoes, because that's certainly an issue in a lot of people's house. It's certainly mine. Um, let's say your son or daughter keeps leaving shoes right in the doorway. Um, and, and, and you've already told them about this. It's not any new information. You don't want to use sarcasm like, oh, I see you remembered to put your shoes away today. Not. Or threats. If you leave those shoes out again, I'm going to throw them away and you can wear your sister's bunny slippers to school from now on. So <laughs> say a few words in general about getting kids to cooperate and answer what do we do in, in that type of situation? Okay, well, I'm again going to start off by saying, uh, honestly, what we want to say is, mm -hmm. oh my God, how many times do I have to tell you? Why did you leave your shoes in the doorway again? So you've been here in my house before. <laughs> <laughs> in my house, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if we use that little try it on yourself technique that I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. Uh, imagine that you leave something lying around and your spouse said this to you, like, how many times have I told you uh, this, uh, you know, you have to clean up after yourself. You know, oh, terrible. terrible. Yeah. Right? You shoot at his head. Yeah, I yeah. really, I really would. I really would. Yes. No, that yes. would be bad news. Or, or you'd like intentionally leave a few items right in the doorway just yeah. to get that. How do you like me now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we have a lot of different tools for engaging cooperation um, that, that don't cause our kids to become, to feel defiant or vengeful as we just did in that little example. So that's, that's half the battle really. It's just, is just avoiding creating that kind of hostility you know, because then, then we're really working against ourselves, even though it's satisfying to say how many times have I told you, what is the matter with you? Right. Satisfying and totally ineffective. Um, yeah. So I think for this one, for this particular one, um, where, where you find yourself saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, I would use the skill of writing a note. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually had a parent in a workshop who had five sons and she was endlessly harping on them to keep their shoes out of the doorway. And, and what she did was she hung a card that said shoes on a string where it would smack them in the face when they came in the door. And the first one came home and said, what's this? And she said, read it. And he said, shoes, what's, what does that mean? And she said, what do you think it means? And he said, are we going to buy new shoes? <laughs> and, she, and she said, you know, no, it's to remind you to put your shoes in the closet. And he said, oh, and then he put his shoes in the closet. And then the twins came home and they said, what's this? And the older son said, you know, oh, that's to remind you to put your shoes in the closet. And they said, oh, and they put their shoes in the closet. And then and the, the other two followed suit. And I think somebody said the nice thing about notes is they don't get louder. Oh, uh, what a good line. And, um, you know, it's, there's also just something about the written word that gets in on a different level. Um, I used this once when my son was a teenager and he had taken into his mind that he has to do pull-ups every night before he goes to bed. And, and the problem was that the, pull, the only place we could put the pull-up bar was in the doorway of the bedroom where my husband and I sleep. <sighs> For some reason, that was the only doorway that would accommodate it. And, um, you know, my son would be, you know, at 11 o'clock at night going like, <gasps> <laughs> and, you know, kicking the wall. You, know, and say, you know my husband would complain he'd say you're waking me up 
You know, I have to go to work at five o'clock in the morning. I'm going to fall asleep behind the wheel and die. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I would say, Dan, you have to do it earlier. And, and for some reason, you know, I don't know what with sports and play practice and music and, and homework, he always ended up doing it late. And no matter how many times I reminded him, and even with the death threats. Um, <laughs> uh, and so one night I just, I, I got a piece of paper and I got a marker and he, I wrote, um, bar closes at 10. Oh. <laughs> the management, no exceptions. And on the bar. You know, and that night at 9.30, he was doing his pull-ups. And I said, Dan, you're doing your pull-ups early. And he said, well, I have to. The bar closes at 10. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, why the written word worked where, where hundreds and hundreds of spoken words didn't. But there's, there's something about it. That, is, that yeah. is so genius. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, I, I just want to keep asking so many questions, but I'll let's move on to resolving conflict so we have enough time for everything. Okay. So, watching while little kids get into conflict is is tough for everyone. It's tough. It's frustrating, especially when you we think our children are being unreasonable or causing a problem with another child, like antagonizing somebody, like sibling rivalry kind of thing. You talk about having parents and teachers express feelings rather than attacking character, showing kids how to make amends, offering choices, among other tools. So can you say a few words about resolving conflict with kids in general and how you might use the tools you advise, for example, when you see a child hit another child? Hmm. Okay. Well, I think the big guns. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to start off by saying that, you know, our instinct, I think, is often to try to get them to stop and to tell them what to do. So if one kid is hitting the other one and they're fighting over a truck, you know, we want to go and say, you know, stop hitting him. You know, you know that's against you know, the rules and, and you have to give him the truck. He's the guest and just sort of resolve it without, without really working with them. So the same principles that we've been talking about, about the importance of acknowledging feelings, we're going to use that with two kids who are fighting. You know, we were we've been talking about when it's just us and one kid. It gets a little bit more complicated when there's two kids, but because they have different feelings. But you know, Tommy, you 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 were playing with the truck and you felt like you weren't finished. And Jimmy, you said it's your truck and you told him he should give it to you and he didn't listen, so you felt like you had to hit him. And we're gonna we're gonna. Um, we're going to acknowledge both of their feelings mm -hmm. without taking sides. And that's critical. Um, it's, it's, we, we, you know, we often have a sense of who's right and who's wrong, or we want to get to the bottom of it, but that doesn't really help. Um, it doesn't help them calm down in the moment and it doesn't help them learn how to resolve conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm going to add a pre-step. I mean, um, um, you know, if one kid is wailing away on another, you know, oh yes. We're not yes. going to start by saying like, Tommy, you seem upset that he took your truck. I mean, we're we're going to clearly rush in and grab his kid and say like, I can't, you know, I, I can't let you hurt him. I can't let you hit him, and mm -hmm. and and you know, take care of the wounds if there are any, and you know, and take action to protect the kids, and then move into you know, boy, you know, you were playing with that truck, and you, you know, it was your truck, and you wanted it back, and you weren't finished playing with it. You know, this is a tough problem. Mm -hmm. you know, acknowledge both kids' feelings and then move into figuring out solutions. But, you know, we're not suggesting that you would sit by as violence occurs in front of you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Good I to that. And, and yeah. but I also, I want to just tell this little story to, to, to show that sometimes when we're using these cooperation skills and acknowledging feeling skills with kids, sometimes they'll even naturally start to use them with each other at mm -hmm. a very young age, which is, is extremely gratifying. I had a situation with, when my son was three, he was playing outside with his little three-year-old friend. They were playing with a little lion and tiger toys. And I was sitting inside having a precious cup of coffee and a, you know, a precious moment. I could mm -hmm. see it out the window, but I could see that it was starting to heat up because the little tiger and lion were fighting. You know, Christopher was saying, you're hurting my hand. Take your hand off. And then, you know, Dan said, well, you're hurting my hand. I'm not going to take my hand off if you don't take your hand off. Well, you're hurting my hand. And they were, they were 
pressing down on each other's hands with the sharp little lion and tiger toys and their faces were turning red. And I thought, oh, geez, now I have to get up, go outside and deal with this. But I didn't want to. So I let those few extra beats pass. Um, I took my last sip of, of the precious caffeine. And then I heard Dan say, Christopher, we can have a choice. Mm. Giving choices is one of the skills we talk about. Um, and Christopher said, what? And Dan said, we can stop pressing each other's hands and play with the lion and tiger, or we can play something else. What do you choice? <laughs> and Christopher said, play something else. And he you know, flung the tiger and they went off to play something else. Wow. But, wow. This is good stuff. This is really, really good stuff. I didn't even have to get up. You know, they, they <laughs> have a template. You know, what do we do? What are we doing when we're in conflict? You know, one of the things, one of the things parents do is they give us a choice. I can make my own choice. So genius. You know, it's, it's a nice thing. When, you know, when you, one of the things that we don't always think about when we order kids around or put them in the corner or punish them in some way is that we're not just dealing with this problem in the moment. We're giving them a template for how to deal with conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we see them doing that with their friends and we're like, Ooh, that's not working. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for, thank you for that. Now, another area that you cover in the book is about praise. And you talk about how empty praise can really backfire um, as even young children can see through it. And some can, kids can get so reliant on praise as a motivator. Um, and, and we don't, we certainly don't want that. So in your view, what is the real point of praise? How do people use it wrong? And then tell us what, you know, what we should be doing. Okay. That's a lot of questions. Let's see. Um, <laughs> give, us, give us some basic a lot of questions. All those yeah. um, what if I said to you, you know what, Robin, you are the perfect interviewer. <laughs> You're the best. You're the best interviewer I've, I've ever seen. You know, every single question you ask is perfect. <laughs> oh. Wow. <laughs> what would your reaction be? Um, you know, it's funny because you wind up having that little thing inside your head saying, on the one hand, you're like, that's so kind and lovely. And on the other hand, you're like, I can think of some other people that might be better than me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the first place yeah. you go is where you weren't so perfect. Right? <laughs> Maybe I messed up that one question. And didn't you just tell me I put a whole lot of questions right in one? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's, when we give a value to praise and tell people, you know, you're perfect, you're the best, you're wonderful. I mean, it, it feels good. Mm -hmm. It feels good. But, but sometimes it can actually make us focus on, wait a minute, didn't you, you know, that last question wasn't so good. You know, it could cause a little doubt or make us focus on our weaknesses or, it, you know, it might make you feel a little suspicious like why is this woman buttering me up oh, yeah uh, what does she want from me yeah, what does she want <laughs> from me um, <laughs> you know sometimes it can even shut us down like oh if you think i'm so perfect and i asked all these perfect questions maybe i ought to wrap this interview up quick before um, i mess up yeah i'm mess this up in a second I dispel yeah. this perfect impression <laughs> and and those are all problems with um, with evaluative, evaluative praise. praise. And, mm -hmm. and a, a woman named Carol Dweck, who is yeah. a researcher at Stanford, wrote a whole book about this. Yes. Um, and she described a phenomenon where kids who are told that they're gifted and talented and very bright, mm -hmm. um, you do well in the early grades, and then at one point they start to fall apart. And what she did was she designed a study where they took a group of young kids and they gave them uh, a sheet of math problems. And, and to half of the group, they told them, you kids are, did very well on this test. You're clearly you know, very good at math. You're very talented. And she gave them that evaluative praise. And the other half of the group, 
they gave them descriptive praise. They said, boy, you guys really stuck with these problems. Some of them were tough, but you, you kept at it and you, you know, figured out every single one. Um, and they just, they described the effort that the kids had put into it. And then they asked both groups, do you want to do another math sheet even more challenging? And you might guess how those kids responded. The first group who had been told that they were bright and talented said, oh, no, 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 no. no, no yes, we have this up. yes. Yeah. We're done. We're out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because what happens if you take the second sheet and they don't do as well? Yeah, you know, they now they're not gifted and talented. Yes. Now they're so smart. They're right. going to be, you know, their dirty secret will be revealed that mm -hmm. they need to struggle. That's and right. kids who were praised descriptively said, yeah, sure, give us another one. And in fact, they gave both groups another math sheet. And the kids who had been praised with a value to praise did worse. Yeah. It, it had shaken their confidence in themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so that's what we offer is, is dozens and dozens and dozens of examples of how to give descriptive praise that would be really useful to kids um, as opposed to a value of praise that, you know, often, frankly, it's false. And when par parents complain about overpraising, you know, we're, we're really talking about a value of praise. Let's say if your child helped clear the table, in, what, what would you say, what would you just give me an example of what would be the evaluative pra praise versus the descriptive praise that you might provide in that situation? So the evaluative praise would be, you're such a good girl, you're mommy's little helper. Um, and the descriptive praise would be, wow, that table is covered with, you know, dirty dishes and spills and, and, and papers mixed in. And now it's all clear, you know, oh, that's, right. it, you know, thank you. Now I can get dinner on the table without having to face that mess. And, and that's okay. Feels pretty good. And then Julie, if your child had like a rough time doing like a, a little thing for school, like a little math sheet or something from school. So like so much struggle, tears, but she finally got through it. What would be the evaluative praise versus the descriptive praise for that? Well, the evaluative praise would be, you know, see, that wasn't so bad. You know, you really are a very smart girl. You just mm -hmm. have to have more confidence in yourself. Mm -hmm. Look, you did it, right? And instead of the descriptive praise would be, wow, you really stuck with that math sheet to the very end. And it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. You figured the whole thing out. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So, so when we're looking at this, you're, with the descriptive praise, you're literally just describing what happened from, from start to finish so that they, the child sees that somebody noticed. Somebody noticed what happened. And it's yes. not a, a basis of who they are and their character, you know, that you're evaluating in that time. You're just describing what happened. And then they realize, oh, they, and, they, they and I did can, do that. It can, in fact, be much more useful than evaluative praise. Mm -hmm. So I had a student who, who had terrible uh, fine motor coordination. Uh, he was a little third grader and, and his writing really looked like chicken scratch. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time, you know, seeing his paper and, um, and I said to him, you know, you know, Oh, Felix, look at these two words here. They have big spaces between them. So they're easy to read. Mm -hmm. And I put my finger, you know, between the words to show that there was a space because mm -hmm. a lot of his words, letters were overlapping. Right. And, um, and he smiled and then he went back to writing and I saw him putting his finger between the words. And, you know, I could have said, you know, this looks like a chicken with muddy feet walked across the page. Mm -hmm. and, you know, what is this? Mm -hmm. And I can't read it. It's illegible. And that would have been just completely discouraging. Right. Or I could have said, oh, you're doing very well. You know, don't worry. Mm -hmm. uh, which would have been false mm -hmm. and not helpful. But descriptive praise can really, you know, point out what needs to be done in a very positive way. Right. So it's, it's not overpraising and it's not falsely praising, but it's, 
and it's not discouraging, but it's useful. So I, I want to I want to come back to the to the interviewer scenario. Yeah. So instead of saying you're the best interviewer ever, I said, boy, that question, you know, made me think of it from a whole new perspective. Thanks for asking that. Mm. You know, you would say like, ooh, hey, hey, I made a good question. That right? feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And a lot of parents say, you know, say that, let's be honest, that this, this kind of praise, if you're not, especially if you're, if it, you're not used to it, takes more effort. It's a lot easier yeah. to say, oh, that's a very good job, honey. Very nice. That's mm-hmm. nice. Right. Beautiful. But to think about how to describe, you know, this, the, the, the scribble that our kids bring to us when they're little, you know, oh, I see a lot of red up and down lines and look at these orange dots over here and then it looks like there's a little burst of yellow here what you know what gave you that idea i mean one of the other things that we talk about in our book is that sometimes praise is just not what the kid needs to hear they just want to have a conversation they just want you to notice or they want you to ask them how they got the idea in the first place yes very good. Okay. Yeah, I think my, even my son is like, I don't need compliments right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't need the compliments right now. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you devote a portion of your book, like a large portion of your book, to children with uh, autism, ADHD, other neurodiverse diagnoses. And I so appreciate that. We've interviewed several people on neurodiversity. And I think it's, it's something we really need to be talking about. It's so needed. And I just want to thank you for doing that. You, you do an exercise to help you describe what kids are going through when they're on the spectrum, such uh, that it's like a stranger coming into the house, making noise, asking questions. So the point is you need to shift your tools and expectations when you're working with or you're raising a child who is, is neurodiverse. So can you say a few words on, on why that's so important and perhaps give an example of what you might do in a situation like your child is playing alone with blocks and you have trouble finding a way to connect or play with that child? So I'm not sure who's going to answer that, but that's my question. Well, so I'll start. This is Julie. Um, I, you know, I think that we often want to get our kids to do something. Um, and when we are trying to engage our kids who are on the autism spectrum or who have sensory processing issues, we, it really helps to imagine how they're experiencing a situation rather than just thinking about what we want. So, you know, we have a, if, if you have a kid who's playing alone with blocks, um, you know, a lot of us think, you know, it's really important to get outside and get some fresh air, honey, and we should really get some physical exercise, (laughs) you know, and all these thoughts go through our head. And if we don't remember that for a child who has sensory issues, all of that feels very overstimulating. Um, kids who have sensory issues, they, they process visual, you know, the light and sound um, differently than we do, and it can be very overwhelming. And we, you know, we do have an, ex- I'm not going to read it to you, but we have an example in our book about how I would imagine what that feels like to be a kid in a world where everything's too loud and people stand too close and the lights are too bright and I can hear the hum of the fluorescent lights in the classroom and it really bothers me. Um, so those kids... If we remember what that feels like to be overwhelmed, we don't. Uh, if we if we ourselves are not, uh, if we don't have sensory processing issues or we're not on the spectrum, we might not be able to re- relate directly to what they're experiencing. But we know what it feels like to feel overwhelmed. Mm. We know what it feels like to have been out in the world and we're just exhausted and we need to come home and just veg, <laughs> right. right? And so for a lot of our kids. Um, they will retreat to get away from the overstimulation, but it doesn't mean that they don't want to connect. And that's one of the things we talk about in our book is the importance of finding opportunities to connect with our kids in a way that feels good to them. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, let's go outside and get some fresh air, maybe I would approach that child who's playing with blocks and maybe first I would just watch. And then I would maybe move one or two and, or ask him if I could play, but be, be, aware that I need to, I need to be quieter. I need to have less movement. I need to, I certainly need to join him where he is instead of trying to get him to do what I want to do. Right. Join them in their world rather than trying to get them to join yours. 
Yes, and it can be very, very challenging because a lot of these kids have had so many experiences where people are trying to get them to do things that they don't want to do. So they'll push us away. And as a parent, that's very painful. Yeah. It's very, you know, we, we feel rejected. And a lot of parents say to me, you know, it, I, it's not worth trying. He's always going to say no. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, I share a story in the book of one mom who took a workshop uh, with me and she had a child who liked to go into his tiny little tent one of those little pop-up fabric tents and play on his iPad some little bubble game and he could do that for you know hours and after the workshop where we talked about the importance of connecting with our kids she decided that rather than try to draw him out of the tent she would go over and try to join in with him what he was doing so she she went and stood next to the crawled next to the tent which was his little tent and kind of knocked on the fabric, which you can't really knock on fabric, but, you know, he probably heard it, you know, her little scratch and said, can I watch? And he didn't say anything. He kept playing. And then she asked him, can you show me what you're doing? And he said, it's a bubble game. And she asked, can I play it with you? And he started to show her how to play. Mm. And she stuck her head in and they had this really sweet little moment um, where she played the bubble game with him in his little tent. And it was very different from, their usual interaction where she was trying to get him to do what she thought he should what do. What a beautiful, what a beautiful interaction. And I'm sure that she really appreciated that, that time it's memorable and, and that switch over to feeling like you're connected with your child. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. We, we really hope that all parents read that chapter because yes. that's a tool for all parents. Agreed. Whether kids are differently wired or not, you right. know, like we tend to get just sucked into this vortex of all the things that we have to get our kids to do. And we're always approaching them, you know, saying, you know, you have to get dressed. We have to get them fed. We have to get them out the door. We have to get them undressed. We have to get them to brush their teeth. Mm -hmm. back into bed. And, and to take a time with all kids where we just stop and do something even if it's parallel play, even building a little block tower three feet away from where your child's building a little block tower, do something with them, something that they want to do, something where they're taking the lead. It gives us that moment to reconnect, mm. um, you know, because why would a kid want to connect with you when you're always approaching him just to try to get him to do something? Mm. Yeah. Beautifully said. And, and, and getting them to stop doing what they're doing so that they can start doing what you say that they're supposed to be doing. That doesn't sound so much fun when you think about it. Just right. set down your agenda for a moment. Yes, we yeah. <laughs> possibly. Okay, so because of timing, and I just could talk to you all day. I wish I. I think we need to come back and and have you on just to talk about how to how to use some of these tools with uh, kids who are on the spectrum. So that's an outstanding help for a lot of people. Um, before we get to our top tip, um, I would love to just have like a little rapid fire. Instead of saying this, say that, because you talk so much about positive phraseology. So I'm going to give you just common things that are, are said in so many people's houses um, and then give us the, the thing to say instead. So don't jump on the couch. You can jump from the step to the beanbag chair. <laughs> there you go. Don't yell in the house. Let's use our whisper voices. <laughs> don't run in the restaurant. Let's go out to the sidewalk and run up and down. <laughs> Don't wiggle while I'm trying to brush your hair. You can put these beads on the string and make a bracelet while I brush your hair. Or can you freeze like a mouse hiding from a cat? Or I need to do... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joanna. I need to do 10 brush strokes. Can you help me count to 10? So much better. See, you need to move in. Okay, so this that that is those are all really helpful, and I love that it's it, these are just things you just take need to take like a beat and say think to yourself how can I say this in a way that would be Joanna and Julie approved. Um, <laughs> okay, we, well, I have to name the common theme there. The common theme there with the name of the tool was tell the kid what to do instead of what mm. not to do. Right, right. It's always okay. easier to redirect the train than to stop the train. Oh, so well said. Oh, I like that one. We're going to have to stick that one on a meme. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me your top tip. What do you want parents and teachers to take away 
from this interview, from listening to what you're saying about how to, do, how to talk so little kids will listen. Okay, so we're gonna yeah. do one each. Um, okay. My top tip is to be as generous with yourself as you are with your children. And you know, give yourself a million do-overs and then one more, because if you feel like you've blown it, you're always gonna get another chance, you know? Um, and my mother's mentor, Dr. Gannat, he used to say, you don't have to be orthodox. You can be reform. We aim for 70%. Some days 50% is all we can manage. And sometimes 10% can make a big difference in a relationship. Oh, excellent. Thank you. You want to take off the pressure yes. now, that we've, now that we've given you all these instructions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there will be days that they won't go that way at all. And it's okay. Okay. And then, yeah. Julie, what about you? I'm going to give your listeners a challenge. Ooh. The challenge is to see how long you can go without giving a command or an order. Oof. So instead of telling your kids what to do, see if you can either substitute a choice or be playful or put the child in charge and let them be in charge of what's, what, when they're going to do what they need to do. And then write to Joanna and me and tell us how long you went and what you substituted for the commands. <laughs> <laughs> that playful thing is actually, we, the other day, my son was um, kind of running around the kitchen, not, not eating his cereal um, for, for, during breakfast time. And I said to him, oh, you're not eating your cereal. That must mean you want a kiss from me. And he, you know, he, he's an eight-year-old boy and the kisses for mommy is like not his top priority anymore. <laughs> and he's like, no. And secretly, I think he kind of likes me to kiss him, but like doesn't want me to, you know, know that. So I'm coming over and I'm trying, he's like, no, no. And then he's about to eat a cereal and then he stops and looks at me and I'm like, oh, I think it's a kiss time. No. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that actually worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little playtime. No, appreciate that challenge, and I will take you up on that. Give us the resource of the week. Uh, what? Where should we go to get more information about you and your book and everything you offer? Well, you can go to our website, which is how to talk so little kids will listen .com, and we have uh, a blog there with various posts letters from readers that and we've answered various questions and we also list all of our appearances and our workshops that are coming up and I also have a website julieking.org and on julieking.org I have my workshops and talks and that we we've done other podcasts you can find links to all of that on on the website and we also have a Facebook page we are trying to come to the modern era here oh, how <laughs> we are very good. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome. And um, what is your Facebook page? Well, if you search for how to talk so little kids will listen, okay. you will It'll find pop. us. Yes. Because um, I forget what it is. Ah, <laughs> I think it's the modern kid. era. Like, yeah. no, let's not, let's not, we're not trying for perfection. Just about 70%. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. I just, I, I'm so pleased to have you on, Joanna and Julie. I just want to thank you for your insights and your strategies and just the way you are. So it just makes, it just makes us feel so comfortable and, and accepted and I feel like I can do these things. Like you make it feel doable. So just thank you both for being on today. Oh, thank well, you. thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. And of course, we're going to be looking up uh, Julie King and Joanna's page too, because we want more information about them. We can chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm going to be creating memes of the different things that both Joanna and Julie said on this podcast. There are many. There were many times where I thought, ah, great quote. I love it. Just slap it on a meme. You can share it all over. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. It's so important that other people hear about the podcast so that they can use these strategies in their own homes because they're great strategies. These are tools that we can all use in all kinds of situations. So let's get that out there. Let's tell everybody how much we loved this podcast with Joanna and Julie. 
and send it out to your friends. I'd truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts, and their show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. As we were saying, parenting, it's the ultimate do-over. You may have heard something today and you said, ah, I totally messed that up. That's exactly what happened to my house. I should have done that. Don't, sh don't, don't shoot on yourself, as people say. Let's take this information that you learned today and you can apply it tomorrow you can apply it tonight. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.